Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Eau Claire. And we are already past the halfway point of the NFL preseason. We've passed our first round of cuts, and we're getting very close to the regular season opener in San Francisco. Unfortunately, uh, another loss along the way for the Green Bay Packers, falling at home to the Seattle Seahawks 17-10 to last Saturday night, uh, excuse me, last Friday night. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some of the big cuts that happened this week, one of them that we've been calling for for quite some time now. And we'll also bring back a crossfire segment, which is something we haven't done in a while. And uh, if you haven't heard that before, stay tuned, and uh, hopefully it'll be something you'll enjoy. With that, we'll bring Matt in here. And Matt, I'm sorry that it took so long to get started today, but apparently there's a liquor thief on the loose in Oshkosh. It's mayhem. There's traffic back for 10 miles, and uh, I was stuck in traffic uh, staring at a DiGiorno pizza truck for most of it while I was very, very hungry. You were right in the standoff, too, weren't you? I was. I tried to intervene, but after a while I just thought my my duties to Green and Gold Forever were stronger than my my duties to solve this situation. A lot of big things keep happening, it seems like, when we're trying to do these shows. I've got a storm potential and hail damage <laughs> last week, and now you're in a you're in the middle of a guns drawn standoff over there. Well, it just shows our dedication to the to the great fans of our show. Exactly. Okay, well, let's start uh, talking about this game in Seattle. And I think I'm going to blow your mind, Matt, when I'm going to tell you my assessment of this game. They lost. But I don't know if I've ever been more impressed with a team in a loss in the preseason. I'm one who values the preseason a lot. I think it says a lot. And I actually feel better about this team after the loss to Seattle than I did going in, mainly due to the fact that McCarthy made the decision to not treat this like the normal third preseason game. He decided to rest his starters after one series, play his backups, and they played very, very well against the Seattle starters for a quarter and a half. And this is a team in Seattle that we expect big things from, and I think everybody does. And the Packers' backups... Got two turnovers from Russell Wilson. They held the the offense scoreless until the third quarter, and they were able to move the ball pretty effectively at times and did score a touchdown that was dropped by Finley. So I would say that, surprisingly, I'm usually Mr. Doom and Gloom. I actually feel much better about this team after uh, Friday's game. Yeah, I agree. The defense is looking a lot better than I expected. And uh, kind of the way we handled that Seahawks offense was, you know, just as good as we did last year That when they actually did a pretty good job until the final play of that. And you can argue they did a good job at the final play as well. Yeah. But they, I mean, the defense looked great. I mean, if you could hold Russell Wilson the way they did and they turn him over twice, not a lot of teams can do that. So I agree. I, I could care less whether you win or lose a preseason game, but it's kind of how you get to that point. Mm-hmm. But while their starters were in, and uh, even some of the backup defenders played really well, they got a ton of pressure on Russell Wilson, it seemed like. I don't know the sack number offhand, but it seems like they were hitting him the whole game. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just just played really well overall, and I agree. I don't I don't care if they won, but they definitely look great. And uh, Preseason's hard to get too much of a gauge on, but I'm, I'm feeling a little bit more confident about this defense than I was going into the preseason right now. Yeah, absolutely. And the first team uh, defense... I guess left a little something to be desired. It's basically your standard Dom Capers defense these days where I don't understand why teams even try to run. Seattle yeah. has one of the best running backs in the NFL. They completely stopped him, but third and five or third and 15, it doesn't matter. There's a wide open tight end on third down, 20 yards down the field. 
Um, and then they get to the red zone, and then, like always, Clay Matthews decides he's had enough of it, and teams, for some reason, still block this guy with tight ends and running backs, and he just destroys them and get a, gets a sack, and then uh, they force a field goal. So I guess I'm not super confident in them yet, but the, you at least see that they're probably not going to get steamrolled, and uh, depending on what goes on, you know, with injuries league-wide these days, it looks like they have some options, again, uh, once injuries start rolling around. Right, and then obviously with an offense like we have, if your defense can just be middle of the road, I mean, we've got a chance to win a Super Bowl. That's that's really all that we can ask for. I mean, we're not going to have a great defense, but if they can at least be, you know, decent and, and hold teams under 30 points the majority of their games, I mean, we're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, you would, you'd like to think so. Um, you know, I, th- I think they have to be... I mean, it's tough. With the defense, I feel better about them, but, you know, the Packers' worst offense of the last four years by far was 2010, and they had the second-best defense in the league. That's probably why they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, their their defense, or their offense last year scored 27 points a game. 09 scored 28 points a game. Uh, 2011 scored, I believe, 33 points a game, and they won one playoff game those three years. <laughs> so um, the defense is going to have to do it if they're going to do it, but, um, you know, at least... They showed it against a pretty good team that even their backups can kind of make some plays. Um, another guy I'm actually going to come to the defense of who's looked really good this preseason, and I'm not sure what the reaction was to his game on Friday, but I thought Jermichael Finley, I'm actually going to defend him on that drop. Um, he should have caught it on the first time it hit his hands, but... The juggle and then that he dropped after the fact, I'm actually going to give him a pass on that because he was face-to-face with a guy that was coming helmet to him while he was crouching. If that hit makes contact, he's going to be pretty seriously injured. So I can understand why he dropped that one. You'd like to see him snag it the first time, but I don't think it was as bad as maybe some Packer fans would have thought because of his reputation. Yeah, he's looked really good overall. I mean, he's had a couple of drops, and he just doesn't have soft hands. I mean, this is something that we've obviously learned about him at this point. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a, a good receiver catches that the first time, but uh, you know, he's a he's a good tight end, but not a great you know pass catcher. So, he can get himself open athletically. He just has a hard time hauling it in sometimes, and we know we we're going to get that. But he looks pretty darn good so far this preseason. So, we're still going to get drops this year, and it's still going to infuriate Packer fans, but. I feel like he'll at least make a lot more positive this year, it seems like, than he has in the couple last couple of years to at least sort of make up for that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So hopefully it's a weird dichotomy, but I totally agree that he's a great he's a good to better than good tight end, but he can't ca- like he, he has but poor hands. It's it's kinda weird you'd think that's your number one priority, but Yeah, I mean he can make spectacular catches sometimes and make great catches in in traffic, but he'll just you know, drop easy ones, and he just doesn't have that soft touch that you know all great tight ends or all great receivers have. You almost want to see what would happen if you'd ran him on a reverse, because once he has the ball in space, he runs through people, and it looks effortless. Right. And but you know, getting him the ball seems to be the hardest part. Mm-hmm. So we'll see with that. Uh, the first team didn't get a whole lot to show. Aaron Rodgers, though, four of seven for 41 yards. He looked pretty solid. Uh, the other big story that we'll talk about right away as we transition into uh, the cuts that came, none were that surprising, I guess, other than the one that happened separate, which was the release of backup quarterback Graham Harrell, who turned in another fantastic performance on Friday with uh, 13 attempts, 6 completions, 49 yards. That's 3.8 yards per attempt, which is into the poultry Poultry Packer rushing numbers uh, per attempt. So when you're 
have one of the worst rushing games in the NFL and your yards per pass are as bad as that, perhaps you might be looking for another line of work. Right, and I mean, we both obviously saw this coming, and we've been saying all preseason that we think Vince Young's going to wind up being the number two and that Graham Harrell has a chance to either be the three or gone, and that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, He played terrible again, and Vince Young played really well, and I think that was enough for the Packers coaches to have enough confidence that you know, if Rodgers does go down, they think Vince Young is probably a lot better option than Harrell is. Mm-hmm. Um, just proving it time and time again, he can't lead an offense. So, um, I I mean, it's a, a little bit of a surprise just because I thought they would hold on to him just because he's been on the team for a while and him and Rodgers are best buddies and all that. But mm-hmm. I, I think it makes a lot of sense, obviously. Well, yeah, and Mike McCarthy, when he was talking about him in his press conference, he said, Graham Harrell is just a real quality human being, is what he said. And that's certainly something you never uh, want to apologize for, but when that's the first thing that your football coach says about you when you're a pro football player, um, that's not a good sign. Right. The other question I guess I have is, what is the future now of B.J. Coleman now that Graham is gone? Vince Young, the way he played on Friday, 6-7, 41 yards and a touchdown pass. He also, uh, real quick... I can uh, now. I hit the wrong button, so I guess we'll wait on his uh, rushing stats. Oh, I do have it. Three attempts for 39 yards, including a 21-yard run. So I think Vince Young's clearly the backup quarterback now for this team. What happens to B.J. Coleman? Because he, by no means, is a sure to roster spot. Do you think they keep him as well, or do they try practice squad again? You know, if they can practice squad him, I think that's the route to take. I, he hasn't exactly been impressive, but it, they obviously like him enough that they cut. Graham Harrell instead of him, I, you know, it's very likely that this team only keeps two quarterbacks, but, you know, then again, Vince Young's not a sure thing either, so maybe they want a guy behind him too. I, uh, you know, if they practice squad him here, I wouldn't be surprised, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he gets cut or makes the roster, so, I, you know, really anyway here, and I wouldn't be too shocked, but I, I bet he hangs around just because they got rid of Graham Harrell, and there seems to be an extra roster spot for him now. Yeah, and that's kind of what I think they'll do too. I'm, I'm not sure if they should, because... Like you said, I mean, he hasn't really shown anything in games. I'm not enough of a fanatic to know what he's doing on a day-to-day basis in practice. But I don't know. I mean, they didn't spend a lot to get him. He's obviously not worth a lot. In an era now where it seems like every quarterback who's halfway decent, if any quarterback that's picked... Before the third or fourth round the last three years or four years has been pretty darn good. So, I mean, if you're that worried about a future backup, wouldn't you just spend a pick next year or something? I I, I don't know, I guess. I have a comment later that might kind of go more into to this point, but I'm not sure why a lot of these guys, uh, these pet projects, are staying around. It seems like we have a lot of them, and, and I don't know. I would say it's it's probably just mostly because they haven't invested enough into a different one to to get rid of the guys that they currently have. I mean, Graham Harrell was an undrafted rookie, right, and mm-hmm. ended up coming over here from New Orleans, I believe. Yeah. And then BJ was a you know a seventh round pick. So it, it's they're not spending third and fourth and fifth round picks on quarterbacks right now because I don't think they want to spend that on a backup. Although it, it's probably worth it at this point, I would think, with what we've had otherwise. But there's just been nobody in here. They haven't signed free agents. There's just been nobody to replace these guys. So what they're hanging out forever, but I think it's kind of like by default, kind of like what we've seen with the kicking position. It's just because there's nobody else that's taking their spots. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe B.J. Coleman hangs out on the roster for another couple years. But if they draft a the guy in the fifth or sixth round next year, he's probably gone. 
Yeah, I, I would think so, and I guess if they do draft one, that would show their confidence level in B.J. Coleman. Uh, who knows how much, uh, how long his contract is, but um, let's go into the other cuts, I guess, while we're talking about it. Giorgio Tavecchio, was he cut last week when we were yeah. talking? Yeah, he was cut. Uh, he was. We hadn't talked about it yet on the podcast, but he was cut uh, towards the end of last week, I believe. Okay, well, Giorgio Tavecchio was in a somewhat of a kicking competition with Mason Crosby, and he was cut. And since he was cut, they brought in Zach Ramirez, who was then subsequently cut after one bad practice. <laughs> so complete meltdown is what I've read about it. Okay, so I guess I didn't hear it was that bad, but... I mean, if these are the kicking competitions that Mason's had to endure, I mean, what a what a joke! I he could come to a game in a Bears helmet and miss four kicks, and I think he would stay on the team. Uh, I don't know what it's going to take to get rid of this guy. Honestly, I mean, well, it's, somebody better than Giorgio Tavecchio or this Ramirez guy. I, I, I was reading a little bit about Ramirez's practice the other day. I think he went something like three for thirteen in a competition oh, with Crosby. Sakes. And I was reading the article, and they had a picture of him just, like, holding his hands in his face <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> I guess he missed, like, his last eight kicks or something. It's probably not accurate, but it was something pretty close to that. Just, like, a horrendous practice. Well, and, the, uh, they just cut him immediately. But I don't understand. These are the guys you bring in? They're finding guys. They're, people aren't even trying to get great kickers, and people are grabbing guys like Greg Zerline and Blair Walsh and Justin Tucker. People are finding these guys from these tiny community colleges, it seems like, that can kick great, and we're finding Zach Ramirez, who's 3 of 13. I mean, do we just, like, put out a sign in front of the Hudson Center and kicking tryouts today? Like, where are they recruiting these guys? I think it's because, as we both know, and I think most Packer fans feel, is that the Packers have the weirdest relationship ever with Mason Crosby, and they're never going to let him go, no matter how poor he is. So they're just bringing these guys, they know we're going to lose out, and they can say, well, we tried at least here, and they brought in Tavecchio and Ramirez, and they knew they were going to lose out, and you know they can say, hey, we brought in two kickers last offseason, and they lost out. But I uh, I think Mason Crosby's going to be around as a Packer till he's 50. <laughs> Probably. But you know there's going to be some backup uh, midfielders on the St. Norbert soccer team that are going to get a chance to, to beat him out next year in training camp. <clears throat> so we'll see. Uh, some other strange roster moves. Most of the cuts were not. Uh, no, really nothing else. Yeah. Surprising. The only other strange one that uh, I had texted you about is the uh, Jawan Harris excuse me, was put on injured reserve. And I know he got injured on Friday night. And apparently you had said uh, when I texted you that they thought he was going to be out as many as 12 weeks, so I guess that makes some sense, but it just feels like another one of those kind of head-scratchers by Ted Thompson where they named him before he'd even played a game as the number one running back. So clear, with as good as Eddie Lacy's been, they invested a pick in Jonathan Franklin, not quite to the Mason Crosby level, but they seem to have some kind of infatuation with Alex Green, they always have. And they named Dewan Harris the starter, no questions asked, before the first preseason game. And then the first chance they get, they IR him. And maybe they thought it was going to be worse than it uh, was leading on, but do, do other teams use the IR as this kind of bizarre practice squad franchise tag like we do? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. And it really seems that McCarthy seems to have a, some kind of connection with Dewan Harris. He just loves the guy, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um it, I think he's like his favorite player on the team, and, and he wanted him to be the starter, and then we get this. I heard it was uh, similar to what he had in OTAs that kept him out for a little while, and they 
what I read was that he was expected to be out about 12 weeks. And also keep in mind that they do have the possibility to take one player off IR these days. Um, so I read that that was a potential for down the road here, especially, you know, we'll see what our health is at running back towards the end of the season. But if we've got Lacey and Franklin playing 1-2, and then if you keep, you know, Green or even Starks on the roster, I guess it's not a huge deal if you lose Harris. I think he's a pretty good back, but I don't, we're not losing an elite back or anything. But, you know, if we need him down the road, we can take him off of this. But I was a little surprised to see him on IR, too. Hit the mute button there. I tried to respond to you, and I had actually. Nailed <laughs> I just the mute thought button. I made the worst points ever. <laughs> no, it was good. Um, <laughs> I think uh, James Starks is gonna bizarrely find a way to make this team again. Yeah, I expected him to be gone. I think this, uh, but I think he's gonna hang out. Yeah, and I guess the, the the question I had for you, and maybe you know better than I do, with that IR guy that comes off, do you have to designate him special? Uh, like, for instance, if you wanted Dewan Harris to be the guy who could potentially come off IR, do you have to designate him in that slot before you put him on the list, or can you just take anybody? No, as far as I know, um, you can make the decision just at the end of the season, and you can only take one person, but you don't have to designate that ahead of time. So okay. um, I think there's a certain week that you have to decide by, if I'm not mistaken, but you don't okay. have to designate that player ahead of time. Okay, okay, well then that makes a little bit more sense then. Uh, you do get to kind of save the roster spot. Uh, so if whatever reason, you know, if Bulaga got healthy or Dewan Harris towards the end of the season came up, you know, being healthy sooner, they could just bring that guy back and get rid of somebody else. Yeah, well I wouldn't use it on Dewan Harris because odds are you're going to have some other big names probably make their way to that list. Right. Um, I don't know if we want to go over injuries again. Uh, you had Morgan Burnett getting hurt. Uh, there's some other guys that seemed like they got banged up, but... Um, I was reading an article, and I, I lost it because I had to uninstall my web browser, so I, I don't have it uh, with me. But he claimed in this article that injuries are way up uh, the NFL-wide right now, knee injuries especially, and uh, also injuries total. Like uh, there was, He had some number of over eight weeks, and there was 5,000 or something in 2011 and another 4,000 last year. And those were the first two years he could find that were over 4,000 injuries. Um, and I, I wasn't really trusting the methodology. But we could take it for what it's worth. And one of the things they pointed to was some players talking about how they're forced to go low on hits and blocks because of the NFL finding them to go up. And uh, they were talking about the Dustin Keller injury, which I don't know if you saw that, but uh, that was a pretty horrific one, uh, almost Willis McGahee-like with his knee getting blown apart. And the quote from the guy who heard him was he was afraid to go high because the NFL finds you, you can't play defense anymore, so we have to dive low like that. To which my response was, why don't you tackle him? Whatever happened to just tackling the guy, you know, using your arms and grabbing his waist and tackling him to the ground. Like, why do you have to be a torpedo that either hits him in his head or hits him in his knee? Um, I know I just threw a lot at you right there, but do you want to comment on any of that? Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so I guess with your with your first comment there, um, I would say, yeah, there's probably an increase in knee injuries and such, but there's probably is a little fewer, you know, a little less in the con- concussion category than there has been because players are getting conditioned to not do that anymore. Sure. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess I haven't heard of any major concussions other than Kevin Cobb, and he seems to get one every day, so... <laughs> yeah, I guess I should laugh at that, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, and he, his career might actually be done because yeah. of that, so... And, um, and one thing I will add on that, it's possible that that injury number is inflating because of concussions, because a lot of concussions that normally would have been a guy shaking it off and going back in the game are now being logged as injuries. That's true, yeah. So, yeah, even if the numbers are the same, they might actually... You know, there might be less than there was before previously because it's it's more
more well-documented and taken care of now. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the hits, I completely agree. I mean, it doesn't have to be either or extreme. You don't have to blow the guy up in the head, and you don't have to go for his knees. But, as you know, when you're playing football here and you're trying to lay a big hit on somebody, those are the areas of least resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, me being a smaller guy, when I used to play high school football, I could try to take on, you know, a 255 five. 250-pound running back right at his chest, and I'm going to get run over. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go for the legs or the head, there's less resistance there. It's a lot easier to get a hit. So I think a lot of these that we're seeing are DBs going after these guys. Sure. So if they try to hit somebody right in the chest, they're, they're going to get blown up too. Whereas if they hit the head or they hit the legs, they're not getting injured. They're not taking a pounding. They're just destroying the guy that's catching the football. So mm-hmm. I think that has a lot to do with it, and I think a lot of smaller guys are conditioned to kind of hit like that, although it's incorrect. I think we see more, you know, linebackers and defensive linemen hitting correctly, tackling correctly. But when it's one of these DBs uh, just trying to blow somebody up and make a play, I think that's why we kind of see them go lower high. It's just because, you know, that's the way they've kind of done it their whole careers. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good point. And maybe that's something that's just going to take time. And it, it's one of those things where you want to tell a guy who's been in the NFL already for four years, you know, tackle with your arms. I mean, it's easy for me to say, but he's been playing that way for, you know, 10, 15 years. It's going to be one of those things where we're just going to have to wait, and it's going to be the onus is going to be on the NFL. They have that awareness campaign going on with peewee football and with high school football. Um, Hopefully you don't get a bunch of stupid meathead college coaches that ruin all of that. I'm sure there will be. Well, I'm sure there will be some, obviously, but once – kids are taught to tackle properly in high school and at uh, younger than that and carry that all the way up to the NFL, that's going to change. But it's going to take, you know, it might take a generation before it's done properly. Uh, okay, I guess the the thing I wanted to talk about now, which was just a thought I had today, uh, it's kind of a sidetrack from everything, but with the Mason Crosby situation where we brought in two lame duck tomato can kickers that can't even do anything and they're off the team. Two in five days or whatever it is. Graham Harrell, despite being horrible almost his entire career here, finally getting cut. And then thinking adding, or adding in the analysis of how little Ted has done in free agency. And some of these other pet guys who just don't seem to be doing that much and stay on the team forever, Derek Sherrod, Justin Harrell, um, you can name some others that are maybe debatable how many times they've had to use Jared Bush in pass coverage. Or these linebackers, these endless slew of linebackers who stink, like, um, you know, pick your opposite Clay Matthews for the 2010, 11, 12 year. Um, A.J. Hawk and the continuance to bring him back and even trying to find ways to restructure his contract so he can come back. I almost wondered if Ted Thompson is good as he is, but if there's one thing that maybe separates him in a negative way from his mentor Ron Wolf is, does this guy have a problem taking risks? And I'm not saying it's going to ruin him, but I thought it was just an interesting talking point that we could address. Because it does seem, when you look at his draft history, and you look at the way we've held on to guys forever, and we never go into free agency, you can count on one hand how many times he's taken a genuine roster risk. And that was probably Charles Woodson trading up for Clay Matthews, and then the two big ones involving Aaron Rodgers, one choosing him over Favre in 08, and the other one signing him to a seven-year, $67 million contract after he had five career starts. 
that's probably the extent of the big risks that Ted Thompson has taken as a general manager. Now, you can get into whether that's good or bad, but it feels like you're always going to be this really solid team that might break through and win a Super Bowl if everything falls right, but you might also have some really good... you, You might also get into a rut like they might be in the last couple of years. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think Ted is maybe adverse to taking risks? And um, I guess, what is your analysis on how that might affect the team as a whole? Well, yeah, I would completely agree that he's more of a conservative-type general manager. Um, and I think most Packer fans would agree that we would like to see a little bit more free agent activity. I, I really like building through the draft. But uh, I wouldn't mind seeing a signing. It seems like it's worked out for us when we've done it. I mean, Charles Woodson being the big one that we've that we've gotten, and he's really the only big name that we've tried to sign since he's mm-hmm. been here, and that worked out gloriously. Obviously, helping us win a Super Bowl. So hey, Ryan I, Pickett's starting his eighth year as a Packer this year. That's true, and you know that was a little bit more under the radar, but that was you know definitely a huge signing for us, and, and it's paid off. So mm-hmm. it it seems to work out well when we do it. We just don't seem to do it. So I mean. I think it's beating a dead horse saying that I wish that we did a little bit more in free agency. But, yeah, I think overall taking a few more risks wouldn't hurt. Tends to trade down in the draft more than he tends to trade up. Um, You know, getting a lot of consistent players, but just not a lot of playmakers, even though it seems like when we go for those players, like you said, Clay Matthews, Aaron Rodgers, guys like that, it seems to pan out, but we just don't seem to do it anymore, even after it does work out, I guess. So Mm -hmm. I I would agree with you and say that it would be nice to, to have that happen, but I can pretty much assure you that as long as Thompson's here, we're not going to change that philosophy at all. Well, and he seems to take, when he does take risks, it's in the negative direction. Like, we'll let Greg Jennings go, or we'll let Colin Jenkins go, but it's never the risk of, hey, maybe we should bring Brent Grimes in, or maybe we should, and and I'm not saying that I wanted them to do that, but Mm -hmm. off the top of my head, Steven Jackson, perhaps, uh, you know, something like that. Even got, when we do kind of hit money with Eddie Lacy, we 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 waited to get him. And I know we wanted Daton Jones too, but it's like he's he'll take the risk of letting something get away from him, and he won't take the risk of saying this is going to be our guy, and if it falls apart while he's on our team, so be it. I mean, right. he'll sort of do it with like less lesser investments like uh, Cedric Benson or now Vince Young, but I guess those aren't you know they're not making huge money anyways. Um, I don't know, I, and I guess I don't know how I feel about that, but it just is kind of weird. You used to see Ron Wolf do stuff, crazy stuff, like a second-round pick for old Eugene Robinson and <laughs> and getting uh, Seth Joyner in here and letting Wayne Simmons go or, or signing some of those other guys, trading up in the draft all the time, uh, trading for Keith Jackson when he blatantly said, I will never play in Green Bay, uh, that kind of stuff. And those worked out, too, so... You know, they both have a Super Bowl, and, uh, I mean, obviously, I don't think anybody's ever going to argue that the 2010 team matches up to the 96 team in NFL greatness, um, but I guess it doesn't matter on the scoreboard, and I, I don't know, he'll never crash and burn, likely, but at the same point, y- you wonder if greatness escapes him, potentially, in certain years when they only need a few pieces. Yeah, and I completely agree with everything you said, and I... I don't think they're ever going to crash and burn. I think with their uh, low-risk philosophy, I mean, you're always going to have a team that's going to be right on the fringe of the playoffs, if not making it. Um, I think that has probably more to do with Aaron Rodgers than it does Ted Thompson. We could have a whole different story here if we didn't 
weren't so set at quarterback. Yeah. Um, and people might think a lot differently about his philosophy right now, but he's the one who made that pick, so give him credit for that. Mm-hmm. Well, Ron Wolf, what would he be if he would have had to have Mike Tomzak be his quarterback in exactly. uh, 93 I mean, and 4? There's no great GMs in NFL history that had terrible quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we, we have what we have. I think we're going to be good every year, so, I mean, I guess we can't complain too much. We're not, you know, one of these bottom dwellers that's losing every year. We're not the Detroit Lions or something. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm not going to complain too much. Uh, it is what it is, and he's got us a Super Bowl, so I'll take it. Uh, it's frustrating at times, but I, I guess it's what we have here. <laughs> I guess we kind of just have to deal with it. Yeah, we'll, we'll stick with his small market baseball team philosophy at times, I guess, is the best way to compare it. Well, with that, let's get on to a segment we haven't had in a while. That signifies the beginning of Crossfire, where Matt and I have rapid-fire topics that we've been waiting to ask one another, and we uh, allow each other to answer them, and then we uh, answer them ourselves. So how's that for a very well-rehearsed intro to Crossfire? <laughs> um, Matt, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll, I'll get you here. Um, my first Crossfire question is for the Barry Sanders Award of current players. Okay. So I want to ask you, which one of these players is a bigger waste of their career because of the team that they've been on. So they've okay. had very good careers, but they've been on bad teams. Okay. So hence the Barry Sanders Award. Sure. Um, I'm going to ask you, is it Larry Fitzgerald, Calvin Johnson, or Steven Jackson for being with his career with the Rams? Um, I won't say Larry Fitzgerald because he played in a Super Bowl. So he at least got his chance. He got a turn to, to be in the Super Bowl. He did his part. Uh, so he got close. It, it sucks that he's still going to play most of his career in meaningless football games, but at least he got the one shining moment. So, not him. Um, gosh. I think I'm going to say... Gosh, this is hard. Um, I'm going to say Calvin Johnson just because I think his talent level is so much greater than Steven Jackson's. Uh, it sucks for Steven Jackson to have to bash his head into the, the backs of Rams offensive linemen and, you know, two yards down the field carrying people and losses by 40 points. And that Rams stretch from about 08 until 20, um, or 07, something like that. They won like six games in three years. That that one in 15 team is like definitively one of the five worst teams in NFL history. He had to play on all of those teams. So I will say I feel bad for him, but Calvin Johnson should be one of the greatest receivers of all time. He's as good as Randy Moss at Randy Moss's most dangerous, I think. Um, well, now I don't know, but it, he's close. Um, and the fact that he's going to spend most of his career catching lobbed passes from sort of fat Matt Stafford, just getting bashed and probably never going anywhere, that's a shame because he should be remembered as one of the top receivers in history when it's all said and done, and he, he might not be because of how bad that team is. He might never play in another playoff game. Right. Um, and I'm, I think I'm going to actually agree with you on this. I was set to say Larry Fitzgerald, but then I... I totally forgot that the Cardinals have been in a Super Bowl. <laughs> I wish I could. It's hard to remember. But, I mean, I think he's one of the greatest receivers in the NFL, and it, it I feel like his career is just greatly undervalued because he's had 
mostly other than a couple of years from Kurt Warner, just terrible quarterbacks throwing mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. Whereas at least Calvin Johnson has had a you know a capable quarterback who can at least throw the ball in the air. Yeah. But uh, I agree. I think Calvin Johnson. I think physically is probably the most physically dominant receiver ever. I, I won't say he's the greatest receiver ever, but maybe that's just because of a product of where he is. If he had Joe Montana <laughs> throwing to him, maybe you know he's better than Jerry Rice. Who knows? But sure. I uh, I think I agree. I, Steven Jackson, his career just depresses me when I think about it because he was great for like five, six years and mm-hmm. was just on the worst teams. But you know, Calvin Johnson, physically one of the best we've ever seen. But his career, I feel like, is going to go down. His speed's going to decline over the next few years, and it's going to go down as. You know, one of the greatest careers, and this guy's never going to get to a Super Bowl. I mean, we don't know that for sure, but I would imagine with what they've got put together right now, they're not even close. So, mm-hmm. um, and they're going to be sticking with Matthew Stafford for for the foreseeable future here. So, I, I agree with you there. I think Calvin Johnson's career a big time waste. Yeah, definitely. So, if he's going to stay in Detroit, I guess he can go on and keep wasting it. Yeah, exactly. I have a question for you that uh, pertains to the Packers. It's kind of a easier one I suppose but right now the Packers have been sort of been stringing these three guys along for a number of years and in the next few years they're probably only going to be able to keep one of them they're all almost the same age and they've all shown flashes of brilliance but have also had years where they really didn't do much of anything uh, due to injury or being inept or whatever so in the next three years, we're probably going to have to choose to keep one of these three guys. Which one are you taking? Jordy Nelson, Jermichael Finley, or James Jones? Ooh, that's tough. I thought there was going to be uh, some defensive players in there, too. I was getting ready to say them. But um, I think talent-wise alone, I love James Jones, and I, I've definitely come around on that over his career. I was not a big fan up until a couple years ago, but I've come around there. But I think talent-wise, he's probably the most expendable out of those three. Mm-hmm. And I think based on, you know, the best fit for the team and everything, I think Jordy's the guy you keep. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, tight end might be a lot harder position to find a great tight end at than it is to find a great receiver. But I, I feel like Finley just doesn't fit in. Uh, his He's not great with the fan base. Nobody really seems to care for him. He doesn't have great hands. So while it might be harder to find a replacement for him, I feel like Jordy's the guy that we need to keep. Um, just that outside kind of deep threat guy, good hands, uh, make some great catches. I, I guess I'll take Jordy. Yeah, and I think I'm going to have to agree with you. I, I think James Jones feels like another Greg Jennings, where you're so glad you have one of them, and they're a super productive player, but you can never be 100% sure that there isn't four more like him coming out into the draft right. every year. And, I mean, you think of James Jones or, or, or Greg Jennings or any one of these guys and you think how great they are, but it's like, gosh, if you didn't have them, you might have got Victor Cruz or you might have got Mike Wallace or, or one of these. Mike Wallace is fat, really fast. But, I mean, another one of these, you know, Jeremy Macklin or, or what, another one of these really, really solid guys who everybody seems to have now. And so I guess I can't take him. It's the tight end versus the wide receiver. Um, Jordy scares me because he's the last couple of years has been kind of injury prone, but I feel like he can do the most things amongst those three guys. He can catch balls in traffic, like you said. He's faster than a lot of people uh, think he is. He can get open on the seam. He can get open on uh, bubble screens. He's one of the only guys other than uh, um, Greg Jennings that we've ever had who's effective on uh, bubble screens. Uh, now that I said that, Donald Driver's pretty good on him too, so ignore that last point. But... I would say Jordy because I think he get, provides the most physical mismatches amongst everybody 
Finley's not going to beat anybody with speed, and James Jones isn't going to out-jump anybody uh, on most occasions. Yep, already great. Yeah, just I mean, just a good, strong-bodied receiver. Those are, are kind of hard to come by, so mm-hmm. I think a pretty valuable, com- valuable commodity. Alrighty, my next crossfire question for you is, who's the most disappointing quarterback out of this era in college football to come into the NFL? Okay. Is it Vince Young, Brady Quinn, or Matt Leinart? So, in other words, who did you expect the most from, and they've all obviously disappointed at this point in their careers? Yeah. I I think Vince Young has done okay uh, of the three. Um I think he would have had a better career in Tennessee if he hadn't had that emotional breakdown or whatever the heck it was in 2008 that got him benched for Kerry Collins. And uh, the same thing with his kind of relationship with Jeff Fisher. So I'll give him a pass. And he's at least been able to run offenses and move the football and win some games. He's had some flashes of brilliance. The other two are just horrible. I mean, Joey Harrington was better than either of these two guys. And so, I, I, this is hard. I guess, I'll say Matt Leinert, because of the fact that I thought he, I never thought he would be a great quarterback, but I didn't think he would stink. Like, I didn't think he would be completely horrible and seem to not care that he's completely horrible, which I think is one thing that uh, bothers me. Brady Quinn, as you know, and anybody who watched college football with me, I was a huge Brady Quinn person. I thought he was a great, great player in college football. I loved Notre Dame when he was there. I watched all their games. But his last game there in the Sugar Bowl against LSU changed my mind forever on him. And I felt like I should have seen it coming, but all of his games that he had struggled in, and this is not very rapid, but sorry, um, had been teams that could rush him, and in LSU, they blitzed him, they were able to put pressure on him, and he could not do anything. He was horrible. He could not do a thing once they started pressuring him, and from that game on, I was starting to think that he's going to maybe have a lot of problems in the NFL. I didn't think he'd be completely inept like he is now, but I thought he his ceiling was... Uh, tremendously lower after watching that game. So I think I'll say Matt Leinart out of those three. Right, and Vince Young has definitely had the best career out of the three thus far. And I think I might even have the lowest expectations for him coming out, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't think he was a great passer, and he turns out not to you know, to be a good passer, but he's kind of made up for it a little bit, at least with his mobility, and has mm-hmm. at least won some games. And I never where, thought he'd be that mobile in the NFL. No, and uh, but uh, you're right, Quinn and Leinart haven't done anything, and I thought, you know, I was on both their camps. I thought they were both going to be great NFL quarterbacks, and they both haven't sniffed the field barely. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to agree with you and say Liner too. I I just had really high expectations for him coming out of USC, and I've always kind of thought with quarterbacks, you know, if they're a winner in college, it's going to lead to the NFL, and that's turned out to be completely false, and I've definitely changed my <laughs> tune. I remember thinking Ken Dorsey was going to be oh, a great. NFL I thought he was going to be Bernie Kosar, uh, yeah. Ken Dorsey, and he stinks. But I I mean I thought Quinn and Liner were both going to be very good quarterbacks, and they've both been terrible. So it's really a kind of a draw for me. But I, I'll agree and say Leinart here just because I thought he was going to be a starter for, for Arizona for a long time, and instead he's had basically no starting career at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess we agree on that. Um, I have a question for you that I'm actually uh, borrowing from Caleb in a conversation that we had recently. Have you heard about the changes to the Pro Bowl? Uh, I briefly did. I, I don't remember them offhand, though, so... Okay, uh, well, I'll just try to summarize them. I know there's a draft, right? 
Yeah, there's like a draft now. Um, there is also no kickoffs. The two leading vote getters will be named the captains, and they'll this year, I guess, will be assisted by Jerry Rice and Deion Sanders and two fantasy football champions to help pick nice. the teams. Um, defenses will be allowed to play cover two and pass coverage, uh, which is new. Uh, the game clock is going to have a uh, two-minute warning at the end of each quarter. Um, just some other little clock things to try to keep it uh, going faster. And I guess the big novelty is the draft and then also the no kickoff. So what would you do with the Pro Bowl if you were in charge? Would you keep these changes or I guess the options, every option is on the table. What would you do with the Pro Bowl? Well, I'm... I'm probably going to watch the draft part of it now, but I'm still not going to watch the game, I don't think. <laughs> I usually like tune in for a couple of minutes, and it's just so hard to watch. I, I guess if I was in charge, I would just get rid of it. I, I don't think anybody cares about it. It's awesome to be named to it, but does anybody really care that they play in it? Mm-hmm. I mean, one of these years, somebody is going to get seriously hurt. So, like A guy like Aaron Rodgers or you know Tom Brady is going to go in and tear an ACL, and that's going to be the end of this thing. So I think if I was the NFL, I would just cancel the game portion of it, maybe go and have some skills competitions, kind of like all the other leagues do that are successful in their all-star games. Mm-hmm. But just don't play the game. Football is the most dangerous of all these sports. These players are going to get injured, and nobody cares to begin with, so why are you putting them in harm's way? Mm-hmm. And you've devalued it even more now by not letting the Super Bowl contending teams play in it. <laughs> so in essence, you're taking the best players of the best two teams in the NFL completely out of it. So mm-hmm. in my opinion, it, it's... The worst of all the all-star games, and it's the sport I care about the most. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, in my opinion, just get rid of the game. Do some fun activities or whatever. Still let the players go to Hawaii. Still name them to the Pro Bowl, but get rid of the game. Yeah, and I guess that's probably what I would do, too. Um, the only other option that I would have is I would move it back to the week after the Super Bowl. Because that was part of the novelty of it, watching it back in the days, because it was the last football game of the season. So right. you felt like you needed to watch it. So then your Super Bowl champions can play. And then after that, I would just make the rules a regular NFL game. If players are worried about getting hurt, they don't have to go. And I don't care if everybody opts out. And then it ends up being Kellen Clemens starting one of the teams. <laughs> I mean, I don't care. The, the novelty, honestly, and tell me if I'm wrong, the novelty is when we used to watch it as kids were... Last game of the season, and everybody's got a different helmet on. Like, that's the only cool part of it. And they, I have some old Pro Bowls uh, in the mid-90s, when these guys actually were trying much more. And outside of Brent Jones, who got hurt stepping weird, who he broke his leg, and he was fine in time for the next season, nobody got hurt, and it was a competitive game. People tried really hard for the whole thing. And everybody played. You're, you're really, you're, Steve Young was there. Brett Favre was there. Rod Woodson was there. Um, Deion Sanders was there. Everybody was there. They tried hard. Nobody got hurt. So unless we're in an era where, and I, I don't want to sound like you're old, an, an old one and nine high school football coach, but unless these guys are that fragile that they're going to get hurt all the time, I think put it in the hands of the player's discretion, put it back to the week after the Super Bowl, and just make it a regular game. Whoever wants to come can come. Yeah, and it was way better when it was the week after. I actually watched those ones. I haven't watched it in the last couple of years since they changed it. Yeah. And I agree. I think that, you know, if the players went and played, it would be awesome. But it just seemed like they were kind of – it just doesn't have the same importance as it used to to the players. Mm-hmm. And and they were starting to not go on their own, like you had said earlier. So, I, hey, I'd be fine with watching some backups play in the Pro Bowl. That might even be more entertaining because they'd probably give it everything they had. Yeah. And it's the helmets. The helmets are the coolest part, just seeing all the different helmets. 
Right, that is pretty cool. And it was awesome on the old video games when they could actually pull that off, too. Oh, I almost had a stroke when they had that on the, the first PlayStation 2 game when you finally could see it. And uh, what wasn't it Tecmo Super Bowl on the Super Nintendo had the helmets, too, in the cutscenes, right? Yeah, they were way ahead of their time. That. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. All right, all right. Next, quick. This is a quicker question for you here, so we can get through it quicker here. Okay. Um, who's got the better preseason facial hair? Is it Aaron Rodgers or is it Ryan Fitzpatrick? Um, was his just kind of a crazy? Oh, have you like, not seen his yet? I, I didn't, but I assume. Well, I I think I saw it with his helmet on. It's but, like Brett Kiesel, but for a quarterback. Oh, okay. It's it's definitely Ryan Fitzpatrick. Aaron Rodgers. Has the worst when he goes when he does that mustache. He looks like a pedophile. I don't like it at all. It's hard for me to even cheer for him when he has that mustache. So it's definitely Ryan Fitzpatrick in my opinion. All right, I'm gonna disagree with you here. Although I think Rodgers is terrible. It's it's I think it's more to be funny. So I think I kind of take it as that. Although he does look terrible. But whereas <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick is a terrible player trying to pull off a facial hair like that. He just looks like a bum. Yeah. So he's coming off the bench with this gigantic beard where Rodgers is kind of a badass and he's getting out of the field with his mustache. I can respect that. But when you're a backup quarterback who just got cut from the Bills, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you should come out of the field with a ridiculous-looking beard. So I'm going to say Rodgers. Okay. I, I, your justification is definitely sound, but I think when I see Aaron walking around on that sideline with that pedo stash, it's disqualified. <laughs> Okay, um, I'm actually, this is kind of a weird question that I've been having sitting in my queue for a while, so uh, we'll see uh, if we can even answer it. But what do you, this could be either a player or for the franchise as a whole. What do you think is the most legacy-damaging game played in Packers history? So perhaps we could do one of each for an individual player and then also for the team as a whole. Oh man, that's really difficult. I mean, my mind's just going to recent type things here, I guess, but. Which is fine, because, I mean, the 40s nobody cares about, and we had no playoff history between Lombardi and Favre, anyways. Right. Man, um, I, I, my brain's going to Brett Favre right away here. Mm -hmm. And I guess, I'm thinking, you know, St. Louis Rams divisional round, I'm thinking Philadelphia Eagles divisional round, but I guess, since I'll go with the, the ending one, I, probably the obvious, but I think I'll go with the New York Giants NFC Championship game in 07, because mm-hmm. um, he ends his career with us and he ends it with a pick. So, you know, I think that changes a lot of things. Had that not happened, he might have come back. Um, and since it did happen, I know I kind of ended on a bad note with him personally, and I think a lot of people did, so I guess I'll go with the obvious and say that one. Okay. Um, that's a really good one. Obviously, it's in contention. I actually just remembered the one I had in mind when I wrote this question, so I'm glad I wrote it. And honestly, even considering all the Brett Favre meltdowns, I don't even think it's close. And the most legacy-damaging game in Packers history is Super Bowl 32 to Mike Holmgren. If the Packers win that game, Holmgren's a Hall of Famer. Brett Favre is, and and maybe Favre could be thrown in this too, even though he played pretty well. Brett Favre, instead of being kind of the laughingstock guy who was on a great team and had a bunch of great stats but couldn't do it in the clutch, is now a two-time Super Bowl winner. And I don't think people care as much when he falls apart at the end. He would have won back-to-back Super Bowls. They would have only been the sixth team to do it in NFL history. Um, I don't want to count them in my head right now, but I'm pretty sure it's six. Um, And... Leroy Butler might be a Hall of Famer if they win that game. Um, you could you could start looking to some other guys. What what does that say for the all-time reputations of Antonio Freeman and Dorsey Levins and Mark Chamorro, all of which who had been... Chamorro went to three Pro Bowls in four years. 
started three Pro Bowls in four years, and he caught a touchdown in that game. If they win that game, maybe he his reputation is completely different. There's a Eugene Robinson. Is he a Hall of Famer potentially, or at least get some consideration? There are so many legacies that were destroyed in that game that had they won that game. It's different for a lot of people. Ron Wolf's a Hall of Famer if they win that game. Um, so Super Bowl 32, as, as much as Denver took it away from them, that loss, uh, if there's a game that I think there's a generation of Packer fans and Packer players that stay up at night thinking about, it's gotta be Super Bowl 32. Yeah, and I, I agree. I mean, with that many players, you know, reputations at stake, winning two straight Super Bowls is how a lot of players make the Hall of Fame. So mm-hmm. by not winning that game, that probably cost a lot of players. You know, a, a forever lasting legacy where most of those guys are just going to kind of be forgotten in time now where mm-hmm. they, they might have found themselves in the Hall of Fame. So that's definitely a good one. Mm-hmm. It's more than just the one player like mine, and it, it could have affected a lot of players. Um, all right, my next one for you here is you have to pick a Hall of Famer out of this group of wide receivers. Okay. You can pick more than one, but you have to choose at least one. And I know you're super hard on Hall of Famers, <laughs> and you think they're all bums at this point. Every single one of them are bums. <laughs> so pick a Hall of Famer. Steve Smith, Carolina Panthers, Wes Welker, or Reggie Wayne? Um, yikes. That's hard. I think Wes Welker has some ridiculous numbers. Like, he's got the NFL record for 100 catch seasons, I think, with five. Um, but... For a lot of those years, he wasn't even the featured target on his own team. So I can't in good conscience put him in there. I think he's in an era where people are getting 100-catch seasons all the time, so I don't think it means as much. He, he He's a good player, but I don't think... He, he seems like an annoying guy. I don't... I hate to say it, but he's a lot like Driver in that capacity. Completely different players, but I don't think anybody came playing the Packers worried about Donald Driver. But when the game was over and they saw he had seven catches for 120 yards and a touchdown, they're like, gosh, how come we couldn't cover Driver? But it wasn't, nobody went into a game saying, oh shoot, you know, Donald Driver. Oh shoot, it's Wes Welker, what are we gonna do? I just think he's kind of a product of a good offense playing with a great quarterback. And when he was in Miami, he was a, he was kicking extra points to get a chance to play. So I think Tom Brady had a lot to do with his career. Um, Reggie Wayne is kind of the same way. If I'm going to punish Wes Welker, Reggie Wayne spent most of his career being Marvin Harrison's, you know, decoy or vice versa. So, and if Reggie Wayne is another one of those guys, if I let him in, that opens the floodgates because then I got to make a spot for Jimmy Smith. I got to make a spot for Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce. Uh, there's a ton of guys that got to go in if he goes in. And I'm not sure if I can let all those guys in. Um, so I don't think him. Steve Smith, I almost want to look up his statistics, and I don't know if we'll have time to do that, but of all of them, I would say that he's the one who I'm um, most likely to to put in out of that group, as is, is strange as it sounds. He was a game-changer for Carolina. Um, 11,000 yards, he's only got... He's got 7,000-yard season, 63 touchdowns. Uh, the touchdowns number is actually lower than I thought it would be, but... He's played with some schmuck quarterbacks. He turned him and Jake DeLome were a great tandem. He was unstoppable in the the Panthers uh, playoff runs in 03 and 05. I think greatness trumps consistency in my book, and he's got both. So I will say of those three, I'm putting Steve Smith. Yeah, and he's probably the only one of this group that we would have thought is. He, there was a stretch where he might have been the best receiver in the NFL mm-hmm. before a lot of these new guys came in. I mean, he was a 
you said a game changer, a game breaker. I mean, he won them games. He's strong. He was fast. And he was a great wide receiver. And he's still going consistently. So I, I think that, in my opinion, I think he's the one as well. And I, I think he's a little underrated because he's played with bad quarterbacks. And Carolina, other than one good year, hasn't really done a ton. But the thing is, I'm, he's my choice. But I think in terms of getting in, actually, I think Wes Welker is the only one of this group that will actually get in, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think just his numbers are just too much to overlook. Um, and then playing with Brady on those teams, I think it's easy to forget that he hasn't won a Super Bowl with them either. Yeah. <laughs> he just kind of seems like he's been a part of it. Um, so I guess I have a two-part answer here. I say I think Steve Smith is the one who deserves it, and I think Wes Welker is the only one that actually gets in. Okay, I could I could see that. All right, here's a, I got a all I have is two-part question. So I guess uh, this one, and then depending on how long we go on this, maybe this will be our last one. But uh, I've had this one sitting in my queue for a while as well, and it might take us a little bit to answer. Who is an NFL player that had a successful career or is having a successful career? who you thought would be a bust coming out of college, and who is a player who was a bust, kind of going back to those quarterbacks, who you thought was going to be very good? Okay, well, I think we might share one here for the quarterbacks, because we used to watch the drafts together, and we always seem to agree on these ones. Mm -hmm. I think for quarterbacks, both Roethlisberger and Flacco were uh, a couple of them that I kind of picked out that I didn't think were going to do anything in the NFL, came Mm -hmm. from small schools. I, I guess I'll go with Flacco here. And you can go non-quarterback he, if you wanted to. I was just okay. I guess it's just the first thing that pops into my head. But yeah. um, I guess I'm going to go with Flacco just because even into his NFL career, I just ripped on this guy all the time, and I thought he was terrible. Mm-hmm. And I was still like to make that argument, but he's won a Super Bowl, <laughs> so I can't anymore. <laughs> so I, I think I you guess, can. You can. Yeah, Wait I, a few I weeks. I, I just, I'm still not 100% sold, but I, I didn't think he was going to be anything out of college. I mean, when you're a quarterback at – one double A school. It's hard to imagine you can come in and be a starter in the NFL just because you've got a rocket arm. But he's pulled it off, mm-hmm. and uh, and he somehow led an offense to a Super Bowl even when their defense wasn't very good last year. So I guess I'll say Flacco for that one. Okay. And in terms of the other one, I mean, there's been a ton on on this frontier. I guess that I thought these players were going to be very good and, and didn't. Um, man, for this one, I don't I don't want to say Leonard again because I I thought a lot of those quarterbacks from that draft were going to be very good and haven't. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, well, why don't you answer quick here while I think about this one here? Because there's so many names in my head, I want to get a second to think about this one. Okay. I the crossfire aspect of it, I guess. But no, I've I've been doing that the whole session here. So, uh, I guess an NFL player who who had a successful career, who I thought would be a bust, for me is actually pretty easy. And maybe he hasn't been as great as his brother, but I did not think Eli Manning would be sitting in 2013 as one of the better quarterbacks, probably a Hall of Famer at this point, two Super Bowl wins, has had some stupid bonehead moments, but for the most part has been pretty darn good since his second season. I thought he just kind of seemed, I didn't get to watch a ton of him at Mississippi, but he didn't seem very accurate. He didn't seem to make good decisions. He seemed like a horrible leader. He had the horrible fiasco to start his career to go to the New York Giants and turned down the Chargers for no reason, and somehow he's turned that all in. He's managed the most harsh media environment. He's won two Super Bowls. He's probably the best quarterback in franchise history for a franchise that's been around since the 20s, and he's really outshined his brother, and he might be the most clutch quarterback that the NFL has had since Joe Montana, and I never thought any of that was going to happen. 
Yeah, and I can't argue with that there. I guess I didn't I didn't think he was going to be a schmuck in the NFL, but I'm I'm surprised, especially after having watched him struggle for a little bit, how good he's become. So mm-hmm. I think that's definitely a great pick. Um, just because I just read an article about this guy, I think this is where I'm going to go on my other end of it. I, I, there's definitely been bigger surprises for guys who I thought were going to be good. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm thinking of Aaron Curry here, who was the linebacker oh, yeah. who actually just retired today. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, he was the the fourth overall pick just four years ago, and I was just reading an article about him before well, I was waiting for you to get out of your standoff here. <laughs> he um, so he was the fourth overall pick in 2009. Mel Kiper said he was the, the top guy on his draft board overall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was the surefire thing. Everybody said he was the safest pick in the draft, and now he's already out of the league. Yikes. Um, you know, athletically he had it, but apparently, you know, just a head case. He just couldn't wrap his mind around football and playing in the NFL. Had had a lot of issues with Twitter apparently too. I mean, we didn't see that as much not being in the Seattle market, but alienated, alienated a lot of people over there. Ended up in Oakland and apparently was actually on the Giants team and got cut. So um, that was a big surprise for me. I thought this guy was going to be great. I mean, he was talked about you know the same way Patrick Willis was talked about coming out. And, yeah, they uh, talked just about him like he was Lawrence Taylor. Right, and that, I read that comparison too, that he was the, the best linebacking prospect since Lawrence Taylor, and he amounted to be nothing more than a, you know, a third string linebacker basically, and a guy yeah. who's out of the league quicker than a, a lot of undrafted free agents. Mm-hmm. Well, just to elongate Crossfire though, I think you actually had already done a, a, a guy who you thought would be a bust, right? Oh, you thought he would be good, sorry, I got screwed up there. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I guess who didn't th- think he was going to be good? That's a that's a really good answer. Um, yeah, this one's hard just because there's so many guys. Um, I guess I'll throw out a quick crossfire, a bunch of names that are on my head, and then I'll focus on the one that I'll put number one on there. Um, I thought Joey Harrington was going to be really good. Obviously, he stunk. Um, I thought that Jamarcus Russell... I was touting him for two years at LSU, and I thought he was going to be great, and I thought, and then he stunk, like worse than Joey Harrington. Um, all three of those backs picked at the top of the 05 draft I thought were going to yeah. be good. Ronnie Brown, Cadillac Williams, um, Cedric Benson, none of which got anywhere close to the hype that surrounded them. I guess number one, though, sticking with the running back, Bust feels like a harsh label on him, but I think it's fair. I didn't think... Reggie Bush would be so bad in the NFL that it, you basically had to invent a new position to even utilize him at all in New Orleans. Um, Miami last year, he did something. He was decent in Miami, but I thought he was going to be a game changer. I thought he was going to be Barry Sanders and Marshall Falk rolled into one, and he never even came close to that. He couldn't run through holes. He couldn't do anything. And his speed, it, he seems like the reverse. Like Guys like Larry Fitzgerald, I always thought would... When I saw him at Pittsburgh, I always thought, he's going to be too slow to, to play in the NFL. And then he gets in the NFL, and he's faster than everybody. Reggie Bush almost seems the invert of that. He'd have a punt return or a swing pass that would blow your mind, and then for the next six games, he'd do nothing. So I never thought he'd be so darn pedestrian. And it might be unfair because of how high his expectations were, but I wanted the Packers to trade everybody to move up three spots to get him in 2006. And he ran for... 350 yards on like 20 carries in a game in college, and he stinks in the NFL from from an actual halfback standpoint. That's a great one, and I almost thought about saying it too, but he did actually play pretty well last year, and he seems to, it might be a little soon, but he seems to maybe be kind of figuring it out, or maybe he was just in a better system, but... Hope not, he's with the Lions now. (laughs) But I mean, he was 
arguably the best college player that we've ever seen in our generation. Oh, I yeah, mean, absolutely. Nobody could stop him. I mean, absolutely nobody. And I know the players weren't quite as big and fast and strong then as, as he's seeing in the NFL, but I am also shocked that you know, I thought he was going to be great. I thought he was going to be one of the all-time greats, and he's been an average. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's an excellent one, too. Well, according to the NCAA, those games didn't happen, so we're not supposed to remember them because they they wiped out. The, so maybe maybe he's a. Bad so this guy came straight from high school <laughs> right to the NFL. So let's cut him a break. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, he did pretty good considering. All right, so that wraps up another Crossfire segment. Uh, we didn't get a chance to ask for anybody's opinion on this one, so because we're egomaniacs and we just wanted it all for ourselves. But next time we'll allow those uh, of our listeners to contribute. So if you ever have any Crossfire ideas, send them our way. You can post them on the Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast. Uh, you can comment on the Podbean page you're likely listening to, which is Green Gold Forever. That's the number four, dot podbean.com. Or you can email us at greenandgoldpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll throw your ideas into the next segment. The Packers wrap up their preseason in Kansas City this week. Uh, on uh, tomorrow, as a matter of fact, uh, probably not going to see a lot of your favorite Packers. Some of them, depending on the weather, might not even suit up. And I guess, Matt, what are your thoughts, real quick? On um, we didn't touch on it too much about Mike McCarthy not playing his starters. Uh, very much at all in the third preseason game when traditionally they play almost a half. Or, does that concern you at all about the starters hardly playing any real action before the season starts? I guess it didn't bug me too much. I mean, considering they've looked pretty good so far, they seem to have it rolling. Rodgers has been sharp. Um, I mean, they, they played some of them into you know, the second quarter and a little bit later even, but to pull out Rodgers right away, I don't have a problem with that. They've, they've seen enough time in practice in, in the preseason games that I'm not too worried. Mm-hmm. I'd rather come out healthy because you... You even saw guys like Morgan Burnett that weren't on the field that long, and they're getting banged up, and a bunch of other guys too. So mm-hmm. I am, uh, I guess I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah, and I guess I am too. Uh, you know, you, I hate to see them. Be- if guys are this fragile, why aren't people getting hurt all the time in week one? You know what I mean? For people mm-hmm. to be so paranoid about injuries, I guess I understand it because you don't want to be the coach who has your guy in there that gets hurt. But right, um, I hate to say it, and we'll get into it as we get closer, but. Uh, healthy or not healthy with all of your starters, I don't have a very strong uh, confidence level going into San Francisco week one anyways. So uh, maybe you'll want to fight me on that point on our next show. We'll wait till the next show, yeah. Okay, sounds good. Hopefully there's no standoffs or severe weather or, you know, asteroids or whatever comes our way for the next Green and Gold forever. But uh, until then, enjoy the final preseason game. We're almost here. So uh, just sit tight, enjoy the backups stumbling into one another for one more week, and then we'll have the the starters kicking off the 2013 season. So until then, um, for Matt and Eau Claire, I'm Eric and Oshkosh, and we'll see you then. Take care, everyone.